And welcome to the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light Mountain Cold Refreshment Made to Chill. He is Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're going to have a very special program today because we're going to have two special guests. We're not taking any phone calls, but two special guests related to the New York Giants. And right off the top, we are joined by a player who suited up for the Giants for seven seasons from 2011 to 2017, helped the Giants win Super Bowl 46 over the Patriots following the 2011 campaign, and and that is none other than Mark Herzlick. Mark, you got Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegels here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the time today. Hi, How's Mark. everything? Good to talk to you, and uh, good to be uh, back on the show. <laughs> good. We're Absolutely. Yes, we are glad to have you. And Mark, obviously one of the reasons why we wanted you on today's program is the fact that this year is a very special year. It's the 25th anniversary of the Tom Coughlin J-Fund Foundation, which helps families tackle childhood cancer in the memory and spirit of the late Boston College safety, Jay McGillis, who developed leukemia while a member of Coach Coughlin's team at BC. And you've done a great deal of work for this fund. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of what you've done, the fact that it's been 25 years that this foundation has existed, Mark, what does that say about the work that Tom Coughlin and company have done overall? Well, it's a dedication that Coach has showed to his players. I mean, you look at what Jay went through at his time at Boston College, uh, and the tragedy turned into this light that has just shone through Coach and shown through uh, Jay's former teammates and then really every player that, uh, Coach Coughlin has come in contact with has, has had a a hand in or at least a knowledge of and a piece of this J fund and to watch the amount of children who have gone through this program have been supported by the J fund and now as you say 25 years later they're having kids of their own I think it's really special to see how full cycle a lot of these uh, kids and now adults have come uh, because of what the J Fund has provided. Yeah, you know, uh, Mark, I've been a, a part of it, you know, for going down for the golf tournament forever. I was telling Lance earlier, um, you know, it's just it's such a fun time to go down there, not only to help the cause, but to see what the J Fund is doing for families. I know you've been down there for many years and you understand, but for the people that are listening and seeing the show, I don't think you really could possibly understand how impactful the J Fund is for these families because a lot of these people they need the J Fund. They need their bills paid, and it's kind of one of the things that the J Fund does. It helps uh, these these cancer patients that are going through tough times to pay their bills and things like that. And so, you know, guys like us that go down and give a couple of days of our time to go play golf, and of all places in Jacksonville, Florida, and go to play the TPC. Tell us a little bit about. I know I, I could sit and talk all day about it, but I know this is close to your heart from the, your situation with cancer and what you see among those families that it's so important the J Fund that it is. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're you hit the nail on the head. Um, there's there's so many organizations out there um, that are doing unbelievable work in raising money for research and advancing cancer treatments. Uh, but I think it's it, what sets the J Fund apart is it really becomes this grassroots organization that helps raise money to give directly to the families that have children suffering from pediatric cancer. And, and, and you, you, know, you mentioned some of those ways that they give. It's, it's providing meals. It's providing um, uh, financial support to, to pay for transportation to and from um, the hospitals. And I, I remember when I was going through my battle with cancer, I was diagnosed with bone cancer in 2009, and the amount of 
the amount of stress it put on my family and my parents um, to, first of all, maintain a job just so that they could maintain sure. our health care insurance. Um, so that way, you know, they could get something paid for with the, with the medical treatments. But then finding time to cook uh, and, and to get meals when we spend six, seven hours a day in the hospital, you know, finding time to be able to get out and just do something as a family that's normal and then having the finances to do that as well. So um, I think when when you sit down and you talk to some of these families, especially the parents, um, you, you really start to grasp the lasting impact that the resources that the J-Fund provides has on not only the welfare of their child, but their family in general. And so, um, you know, that golf tournament – uh, down in Jacksonville, it, it is one of the largest money-making uh, events of the year for the J-Fund, but you know, there's also little things. Just a few weeks ago, I was out at um, a, uh, a batting cages, an arcade, with a bunch of the kids from um, the local hospital, uh, just seeing them get out of their chemo chairs for a day and act like normal kids, uh, all supported by the J-Fund, was it's those types of things that really makes the J Fund tick, um, and is the reason why these families are, as you said, so in need of their care. We're talking with former Giants linebacker Mark Herzlick here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Mark, I think it's very interesting when you arrived to the Giants, not just the connection to Tom Coughlin via him coaching the team, but your connections to Boston College, your connections to Jay McGillis, who did suit up for BC. I believe you won his memorial scholarship when you attended BC. How much did that build the relationship between you and Tom Coughlin, knowing what you personally went through with cancer and the fact that he had been building this organization from scratch? Yeah, so really Jay McGillis is... Um is someone that you just know his name as a player at Boston College. There's, um, we have in our, in our spring ball, um, there's an award given out to the top defensive back, and that defensive back gets to wear Jay's old number um, for that game. So um, you know, Jay McGill is a name that is just it resonates in the locker room. And so you get that understanding of who he is and what he is about. Um, and as I got to the Giants and learned more about the actual J-Fund and what Coach Coughlin um, created because of that, it was interesting how much you know, I felt my journey paralleled Jay's uh, while I was at Boston College. You know, Jay got diagnosed while he was in college. He battled, and, and, and his team fought with him, um, and he was unable to, uh, to you know, come out on the other side healthy. Um, but be, only because I was diagnosed uh, 15 years later uh, and the medical treatments have, had gotten so much better that I was able to get through it. I mean, we, our, our stories were so similar, and to see the team that I was on rally around me, um, I could only just get a, a slight glimpse of what those teams or what Coach Coughlin must have felt rallying around Jay who eventually, you know, he left this earth, but you, you talk about someone passing away, like, there's no, Jay didn't pass. I mean, his memory is still with all of us, and his impact on these families is so great. So um, it's been, it was an honor when Coach Coughlin asked me into his office after a rookie year and asked me to be on the board of the Jay Fund, um, and 
you. I, I was uh, first of all when when Coach Coughlin calls you to his office after rookie year, you're like, oh God, am I getting cut? <laughs> like, what, what's happening now? Like, you know, it's like we won a Super Bowl. That was pretty good. Um, yeah. Then you know, he he asked me to to be on the board and just. It, it just it just felt right, like it was a natural connection that uh, was so blessed to be a part of. Well, one thing we all know about Tom Coughlin is his dedication to everything, and I mean, you know, his discipline. Um, you know, you and I both played for him. And we understand the the commitment that he puts into something, and asks the commitment out of you and the players when he was a coach. But imagine what he does as far as running the J Fund and the commitment that he asks around those people that actually helping run the J Fund. I can't imagine just what kind of discipline he instills in those people. But, you know, Mark, I, I understand, you know, where you've come from and we're hoping that you're doing well these days. And I know that, you know, when you see some of these people, um, that, what they're going through and how important we really have to understand that it, it, it is so important the J fund and how much Tom puts his time in there he's not only out there raising money but he's out there going to these hospitals and and seeing these kids it is so important so um, you know we thank you for all of your support with it and I know that I, I enjoy going down there and doing as much as I can I know when you were playing here that some of the other things that we that you've mentioned or you haven't mentioned that the, the uh, ice cream social that he used to do I think they still do it at the at the Giants facility here so that tradition has yep. carried on to Cipriani's thing down in New York City that a lot of the players ex-players are a- actually invited to go to so his legacy is definitely still here, even though that he's no longer the coach of the New York Giants. But and so is yours, even though that you're now retired and into the radio business and TV business. Congratulations! <laughs> yeah, thanks. No, but you know, you're exactly right. And and you talk about dedication that one man has to literally whatever he does. You know, sure. I think that um, there's a certain. You know, I find myself a lot of times getting involved with a bunch of things and only being able to put a little bits and pieces of myself into different things. Tom Coughlin is a guy, you know, when he decides to be in something, he He's is in. fully into it. And that's, you know, it's just full. It's shown by you know, his, his daughter, Kelly is the uh, executive director of the J fund. I mean, his entire family, you know, they work it, they live it every single day. Um, and it, it becomes, it becomes inspiring to see what they are able to do. And, and, and you're exactly right. Bringing it to, Bringing it to New York was a huge step. Jay sure. Fund thrived really initially in Jacksonville when he became, you know, the first coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, and then when he came up to New York, I, I just know from, from talking about it is okay. Is this going to be something we can replicate in New York? And New the New Yorkers and people in the surrounding area have embraced it so much. Big time. The amount of children that have been helped, and, and I think. What you know, one story kind of sticks out in my mind is just you know an example of. of um, you know, I met a, I met a girl named Melissa who um, was uh, a cancer patient um, as as a young woman, um, and she was battling, and she became uh, part of the J Fund. Um, you know, they supported her in her treatments, um, and she has since become healthy, beaten cancer. She has gone back. And now works for the J Fund and just had her first child. And so, to me, like, that just shows how meaningful it is to these children who are getting this care from the J Fund. 
Well, and Mark, extremely meaningful also for somebody like you who has a personal experience with cancer. And, and I thought it was interesting when you talked about how the technology has drastically changed from, unfortunately, when Jay McGillis was going through this versus when they caught your issue back in 2009 and the support system that you had from your teammates, your team while you were going through it. You know, How much do you look back, Mark, and sort of play the coulda, woulda, shoulda game in terms of just the whole timeline of discovering it following that 2008 season when you know you were one of the best college players in the nation and there was talk about you being a top 10 pick to all of a sudden your life drastically changing because of this news? Yeah, well, it, there becomes... Um... You know, there, there's the timing issue is literally it's, it's you know God's timing. You know, you you, you kind of get this stuff just it happens, and then you know I was fortunate enough to get it in 2009 rather than get it in 1989. You know, type of thing. And yeah. Um, yeah. And and what I what I love seeing is that even my type of cancer, Ewing sarcoma, the research has in the past 10 years since I was diagnosed, the research has gotten even better, and we're seeing so many more survivors of Ewing sarcoma, which, you know, if it has metastasized, when I was diagnosed, it's about, you know, 30% chance of survival. Um, and now you're seeing those numbers go up and you're seeing, um, you know, other people have you know, lives that they're really, you know, fulfilling. Um, and so when you look at that shoulda, woulda, coulda, um, you know, just kind of what could have possibly happened. I, I know when you're when you're in it, you can't even let your mind go there. You know, you just focus on this is how we're going to beat this. This is the next step we're going to take. This is the positivity that you need to keep in your mind. Uh, but when you look back and you just there is a something that you know they talk about uh, people coming back from war sometimes have survivor's guilt. You know, they they lost so many friends and so many loved ones over there. Um, and they come back and they start to think, hey, why me? Why am I able to come back home? Um, and I, I got to say, you know, I had some of that. Um, the, m the more people that I met um, who had Ewing sarcoma, who were fighting it um, just as hard as I had, and they did not um, make it out on the other side, you start to just question, hey, you know, why am I here? And, and hopefully that, that purpose is to, to give back and help these these kids so that um, you know, they can live out their dreams after cancer. Well, you know, you certainly uh, appreciate, I'm sure everybody appreciates the work that you do for the J fund. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you this, you know, when you mention about how people go through and, you know, my mother succumbed to cancer. So I understand some of the things that, that happened through the treatments, you know, when you put yourself in somebody else's shoes, it's tough if you'd never had it before, but you have had it. And you've been able to come through and understand what it's taken. I would imagine that you use that to your advantage when all of a sudden you're playing football and when the, when push comes to shove and it's, it didn't seem that difficult for you when you played football because of what you had gone through in the past. That's just my observation. Yeah, well, so when you're going through treatments um, and when I was going through treatments, you start to understand what a real grind looks like. You know, I think <laughs> yeah. Part, yeah. Part, part of what – Part of what happens in football, and you know, part of the the, the biggest you know, pain points of playing football, especially the NFL, is that grind. And, and you know, you're able to you're able to be tough and like endure pain, but it's that consistent over and over pain that lasts for you know 16, 17, 20 weeks. 
um, that you have to mentally condition yourself to say, hey, look, I'm waking up and I'm going to work and I'm grinding and I'm going to prepare week 16 just like I prepared week one of my rookie year. Um, And so I think that that mental conditioning aspect of it um, really really played a role into, you know, how I was able to stay, really stay in the league for so long and yep. be productive. Um, and then, you know, the, the other part about it is treatments are awful. And, and I, I always think of, you know, there, there's like a 10-second a, a rule in my mind. It's like you can do anything for 10 seconds. Like you just can't. You can fight through it for 10 seconds. And once that 10 seconds goes by, you just start another 10 seconds. And you just... <laughs> Keep on doing that over and over again until you accomplish whatever you need to accomplish. So, you know, I kind of like I had to do that. I remember sitting in an MRI machine and, you know, MRIs of my leg, which was bigger than your average bear's leg. Um, I had to you know, do two sets of MRIs on, on, the, on the leg. So I was in, the, in that little table for two and a half hours each time. And, you know, I would be in so much aggravating pain. And I just knew. I just had to keep on going, and because you know, if I moved or adjusted, they had to start it all again. over again. Yeah. So yeah. it was just maintaining that position in this ultimate pain, and and you know, I'll never forget that. Out of everything, that's been the most pain I've ever been in my life. But you can just get through it. And your body's incredible. We're talking with former Giants linebacker Mark Herzlick. Mark, before we let you go, Eli Manning has done also a lot of work with the J-Fund. He just retired. I know you were at the retirement ceremony a few weeks ago. What was your experience like, Mark, being in the locker room with Eli Manning and now sort of putting his career in perspective, given that he has hung up the jersey for good? Yeah, I mean, so uh, Eli was just, he was an ultimate teammate. Uh, Jeff, you played with him. I mean, just, He's a guy that just, you know, you talk about all the different qualities of Eli Manning, unflappable, you know, unnerved, you know, just clutch in, in these in these moments. But it to me, it, it wasn't any of that, right, on the field. It, when you're in the locker room with this guy, it's just his commitment to excellence. And every day, every day, he prepared the way that everyone on the team wanted to prepare, right? It just... You continually see him staying late, doing or just doing everything the right way, um, and it led as an example um, for you know for me coming in as a, as a rookie for for me in my fifth year, my sixth year, my seventh year. Eli's still doing it the right way every single time, and 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 not complaining, not even you know blinking because he comes to work and knows that this is this is my job, um, and the entire team is counting on me. Um, and you know it trickles down. So I love, I love Eli. It was an honor to be at his press conference. When you look back at his career and what he did with the New York Giants, you know obviously you're going to look at those two Super Bowls, and you know that alone should put him in the Hall of Fame. But it's really his ability to do not only what he did, do it in New York City yeah. uh, at such a high level for such a long time, and the the amount of people he you know, brought under his wing, you know, he has created fine young men who are now, you know, doing great out in this world. Well said. He played for the Giants for seven seasons from 2011 to 2017, helped the Giants win Super Bowl 46 over the Patriots following that 2011 campaign 
former Giants linebacker Mark Herzlick, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live as it is the 25th anniversary of the Tom Coughlin J-Fund Foundation, which helps families tackle childhood cancer in memory and spirit of the late Boston College safety, Jay McGillis. Mark, really appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for joining us, and we wish you the best of luck with all your activities moving forward. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Thanks, Lance. I appreciate you guys. Okay, guys. You got it. That is Mark Herzlick here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Some great stuff out of Mark in terms of his work with the J Fund as well as his playing days with the Giants. And, you know, he was a player that made a name for himself in an element of football, Jeff, that you know very well, special teams. Well, he he understood that if he was going to make it for, you know, six, seven years, what he did. um, What was it? How many years did he play? Seven? Uh, From 2011 to 2017. Yeah, seven. So... He understood that if he couldn't get on the field one way, he's going to get on the field the other. And he was he was one of those special team aces. And, you know, we've talked about it so many times, Lance, that you got to have your three or four guys on that 53-man roster that are going to be your special team aces. Well, that's what he did. And I tell you, um, he was a heck of a player, you know, very durable. Um, he didn't get hurt much. And he was there every Sunday. And a guy that really had fought through a lot of stuff in his personal life to be able to have a great career. And now that he's uh, retired, I know he's doing some ESPN work on TV for the for football, and that's a good thing. Listen, guys that play football are lifers, and if you can oh, get yeah. involved in it afterwards, it's even better. So, um, you know, he's got a, a, a good, good life ahead of him. He's got some time in the NFL, and it's always good to talk to him. Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light Mountain Cold Refreshment Made to Chill. Thanks so much for tuning in as we are reminiscing a bit with many past and former New York Giants. And we are now joined by a very special guest. He was the head coach of the Giants from 1997 to 2003. He helped lead them to Super Bowl 35 following the 2007 season against the Ravens, and that is none other than Coach Jim Fossil. Coach, you got Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegels. Greatly appreciate the time. How's everything today? Hi, Jim. Yeah, looking forward to talking to you guys. Yeah. Well, we're looking Absolutely. To talking to you, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with the connection, Jim, and that is the fact that not only did you have the pleasure of crossing paths with Jeff Fiegels back in 1996 when you were the Cardinals offensive coordinator, then you had the double luxury of <laughs> coaching him again in 2003 yeah, when God. he joined the New York Giants. So what was it like to cross paths with Jeff Fiegels considering over his 20-plus year career, he crossed paths with about every single person that ever suited up in NFL history. That's right. Sure enough. Well, that's what happens with the players and coaches. You know, we cross paths all over the place. But, no, Jeff was a true professional. You know, he took his job seriously. And that's what I was always looking for in a player. They take their job seriously. This isn't Pop Warner football anymore. This is pro football. Well, I so, do. I you listen. Did a good job, Jeff. Well, listen. So did you. And and I tell you, we had some great times uh, in the desert out there in Phoenix, and of course in '03. And um, you know, listen. I tell people all the time, and I'm still here, Jim. I'm still living in Ridgewood, New Jersey. This is going on my 17th year up here because of one 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 thing that you and Ernie, of course, he brought me here um, in 2003, and I've basically never left. And I can't t- tell you how appreciative I am of that and um, being able to still stick with the organization and uh, me and Lance do a lot of work during the season on our pre and post game show so you know we cross paths but you know what we're lifetime friends and I can't thank you enough for that really well that's thank you very much you know for when you're the guys you coach and they call you later and uh, you talk to people and I get calls from different people about you know how how fun it was and all that stuff and 
all those things. And I'll be back in there in New Jersey here at, uh, sometime this year because my son's now with the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, I figure I might come back for that game. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't, we don't. Yeah, I think so. We don't like to talk about that star <laughs> on the helmet kind of group around here but you know you know it's funny because i real quickly i remember um jim when i was coming here we're going to talk a little bit about free agency going into it you know you brought me here at, as a free agent and i remember i remember to that day and how quickly it happened and the negotiations that go along and and how ernie of course and you and we got to i and i for some reason i believe that the year before that i the the giants wanted me to come here we couldn't couldn't work something out, but I wanted to thank you for that. But talk a little bit about, you know, I, free agency has changed tremendously. Obviously, the money is a big, big part of it. But, you know, as far as things going, talk a little bit about how free agency was when you were a head coach and then how it's changed nowadays coming up. And, of course, this is a big one because there's no CBA going into this season next after next season. So there's a lot of the money that changes hands. It's going to have to be spread out different ways. Talk to us a little bit about free agency from a head coaching's perspective. Well, I think it's good. It's obviously good for the players. Oh, I mean, yeah. when, I, when I played, there was no free agency. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was not. Uh, <laughs> here, here, here you go, man. You're staying here until we kick you out. But uh, – uh, I think it's really good. Uh, you know, I was reading the paper this morning. The, they're, they're, the NFL is talking about having a one more game. Yeah. You yeah. know, adding a game. And uh, I think, I think you know, the, you know, they always have back and forth, you know, words. But I think the league tries to do the best for the players. You know, give them the best opportunity, free agency and those type of things. I think it's really good. It's healthy. And it keeps a lot of guys that uh, – you know, if you don't fit with one team, uh, you know, there's another team waiting there. And I can't remember if you were a free agent when you came in with us or what. Yes. But uh, it was a great opportunity for us. It was a great opportunity for you. Well, the other thing is, you know, there was no tampering back then. You know, so now, <laughs> of course, I, you know, you say that lightly, tongue in cheek, yeah. right? Quote, but unquote. The, but, I, you know, there is a tampering period now where the teams can talk to these guys for a couple of days before. How, how important is that to an organization to be able to get in front of these guys before they actually it can start? Well, yeah, I think it's good. Uh, the only thing is, I mean, you got to protect, you know, when the, who can talk to who, when, where, and all that stuff. If the guy's under contract, you right. know, things like that, that's tampering. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you got to know, and that, that now you got the uh, agent involved, you know, that maybe this player X doesn't like to be there, but he's still got a contract, and then the agent starts dealing around behind the doors and all that stuff. That's not good for football. You, know, you got to play by the rules. And but I think there's a, a great opportunity for a lot of guys to to play in the NFL and make it. And uh, you know, there's a lot of lures in there, and and you know, it's just uh, I, I don't I think that the, the NFL is doing real well with a lot of things. And I think uh, it's, it's in a lot of it is good for the players, and the players are making them do that. We're talking with former Giants head coach Jim Fossil. And, Jim, while Jeff, I'm sure, would rank himself as one of the most critical additions in free agency for the Giants, of course. I would throw in another name who I think was very critical during your tenure, speaking of free agency, because of how difficult it is to find a quarterback in free agency. But bringing over Kerry Collins really built that bridge to the eventual drafting of Eli Manning. What was the thinking, what was the process like to give Kerry Collins a second chance and bring him over in 1999 after he 
parted ways with the Panthers, briefly was with the Saints, and really ultimately helped give you some stability at that position during your tenure. Well, yeah, and we were looking for a different quarterback. Uh, Kerry Collins uh, is very talented. Uh, he got cut by two teams. I think there were some issues there. And uh, everybody said he's not accurate and he's got a long delivery and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of the people in the building didn't believe I could do it. And uh, I needed a quarterback, okay? And I've, I've had, you know, a, the one thing I've ever done in my life, I've uh, worked with quarterbacks and made them better. And uh, with Kerry, you know, everybody says, well, long release, he's not accurate. I said, I can change that in about two minutes. And so I brought Kerry down to the, the, to the New York. We sat and talked about what it is to be a quarterback. What's this? What's that? And then I took him out on the field, and I said, uh, what I want you to do, we're going to be about 15 yards apart, and uh, I want you to drop back throw me the ball. Well, he, he carried the ball real low, real low. And, uh, and there's wind-up and stuff, and I, I set some things. I changed some things with him like that. He changed immediately. And the minute I did that, I knew that the accuracy and his delivery on uh, quickness all of a sudden came to for him. And, uh, and, I t- and I talked to him. You know, you, you know, in coaching, a lot of times, you got to be like a father and talking to a guy. And, you know, he had a lot of things that happened in his life. And I said, I will have your back. But don't come in here and say, like, you're the Savior. Just, you know, I was counseling him. And, uh, boy, was he good. He was really good. I love that man. He's, he's really a good – he was a great quarterback for us. And uh, he changed his life around, and uh, I was really happy for him. Well, speaking of counseling, I think it's very interesting, Jim, that you brought up that term because I think you can make the argument in today's NFL, not only is it critical – for a coach to develop and mentor players, but also to do the same for assistance on your staff. For example, when you were here with the Giants, you had Sean Payton and John Fox, who then went on to become head coaches themselves. And you look at Joe Judge, who now just took over as the new Giants head coach. This is his first go around. And, you know, he emphasized he wants to bring in teachers. How much did you look at your job when you were a head coach that it's not just about teaching the players, but it's also getting the members of your coaching staff ready to maybe go on to bigger and better things. Well, that, that's big. You've got, you've got to be the, the, the guys you hire, you've got to be sure they're going to be loyal, okay? And you've got to, you've got to be on top of things, you know, with the, with the coaches. And I remember when I brought Jim Skipper with me from uh, Arizona, and he was going to be the offensive coordinator. But he knew I was going to run the thing and call the plays and all that stuff. And then John Merrick came down and he says, you know, you just hired the first minority coordinator in the NFL. I go, wow, wow. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And I go, are you kidding me? He says, no, the, the, the NFL said that the Jim Skipper was the first coordinator uh, in a minority. And, uh, and he was a great coach. But I think – you know, you got to be able to understand, you know, how you can help your 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 staff and be responsible to their families and all that stuff. I remember one of the one of the best thing I did for the families and the women love me. Uh, the they, uh, I, I you know, it was snowing there, and so I got a guy to clear my driveway. You know, and we we get up at five o'clock. We're at the office at six, and so there's a, a foot of snow out there, so I got a guy to do it. 
and I said, I'll give it. I'll give you two season tickets. He <laughs> says, Oh, I'll do that for sure. <laughs> and I thought about it, and I thought, Well, what about my coaches? What about my coaches? So I got him back. And I said, I got these coaches. If you could clear all of their driveways, all right, I'll give you four tickets. <laughs> he said, I'll do that in a heartbeat. And I'll tell you what, the wives at that time loved me. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, the coach gets up and he takes off for the office at right. six, 6 o'clock in the morning, and they got to go out and shovel the, shovel the snow and take the kids to school. And at that time, well, they were cl- uh, we were uh, clearing their driveway, and she didn't have to do it. And, boy, they, that was something that really all of them said, thank you. You know, you, uh, Jim, I know you still follow football quite a bit. I know that Mike's doing a uh, good job, good things there. Um, and, I, you know, when you look at this Giants team, what they've done over the last four years, it's, it's you know, it's not giant football from what we know. Um, what are some of the things that you see offensively and defensively from in the past, what the Giants have been doing? And, and what's, your, what's your expectations for Coach Judge and his staff and the Giants going forward? Well, I'll be hoping to have a success. Uh, I, I hadn't followed them real tight because my son's coaching. Yeah. You know, and I, I was watching their game or I was traveling to the game and all that stuff. You know, they've had a tough time. They've had a tough time. Uh, I think that uh, Jason Garrett is going to be uh, a good addition because mm-hmm. I think he's a good coach. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, as a head coach, you know, he didn't get it done, but he's a good person. He's a smart guy. He will teach those quarterbacks to, you know, the, the, the system. Well, it's interesting also that you brought up Jason Garrett because I think people forget he was the backup to Kerry Collins when you were here as the head coach of the Giants. Garrett was the backup for four seasons. How valuable, Jim, was it to have somebody like Jason in the quarterback room as sort of an extension to you and an extension to the offensive coordinator? It was great. I mean, he's smart. He studies the game. Uh, You know, he's always prepared to get into that game. He really is. He's, in fact, uh, you know, uh, when we played Minnesota in the NFC Championship game, 34 to nothing at halftime, uh, I got Kerry Collins out of there. And he took the whole second half, and he handled it well. And, you know, he was always on top of things. So mm-hmm. we're out of practice. I mean, uh, a wide receiver might ask him a question, and he would spend the time to say, now, listen, if you're going to go down there, if it's cover two, you're going to make this adjustment. He, he was a, he was a coach when he was playing, a very bright guy, and and very you know he's not a screamer and yeller and cusser at guys on the field and all that stuff. He's a teacher, which that's what I respected out of him. Yeah, well you know you that's and Lance had mentioned about Joe Judge wanting to bring in coaches that are going to be teachers. I think in today's world, the game has changed so much, Jim. From you know when I played and you coached these guys, it's very difficult to coach some of these guys that come in because of just the way things are. And I think the more importantly, or the more coaches that you have are able to teach the players different aspects of this game, whether it's, you know, on from the personal side of how football is run to on the field, how you're supposed to practice, how you're supposed to watch tape. It's so important. You touched on it about having a good staff. And a lot of times, you know, a new head coach has to put a staff together. This is the first time he's been able to have to do that. And I think loyalty is the word there. You're hoping that you get a lot of guys that are going to be in this building for a long time and that they're not going to leave you after one year. And I think that a lot of people were concerned about that with Jason Garrett coming here. You know, he's going to be here for one year and then he's going to go get another head coaching job. So, you know, you hope that Jason Garrett sticks around it for a while. And I do remember him being my teammate. You could always tell that he was going to be a coach. 
because he just kind of had that demeanor amongst him that, you know, listen, I know more than anybody around here <laughs> and even some of the coaches that are coaching me, but I'm just really happy for Jason too. Well, I am too. And uh, sometimes the second go around is the better one. Sure. You learn. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If you're really smart and you, you had a, you had a job, you got fired, then don't blame it on other people. You got to sit down to yourself and say, what should I do better if I was another head coach job? If I got another one, what do I do? You got to, you know, criticize yourself. Yeah. And if you can't do that, then you're not you got, you're not going to be a very good head coach. So I think he will surface again. Uh, and uh, you know, he was as a as a player when he played for me. You know, he was on top of things. You know, he was he was a was a smart guy anyhow. But I mean, uh, he was right on top of things, and he, you, you know, he, his role as a backup and be ready when you got to go in there, things like that. He was a true professional. You have had a lot of experience working with a variety of different quarterbacks, both young guys, veterans, whether it be the collegiate level, the NFL level, and the Giants now have invested in another young quarterback in Daniel Jones, and he came in two games right after Eli Manning. What is the ideal circumstance? from your experience when it comes to grooming and working with a young quarterback, does it pay to have the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers model where you can have a young guy sit for a few years and observe, or does it help when it's more of a baptism by fire type of feel where you just throw the rookie right in and hopefully in the long run he's going to benefit from the early playing time? No, I, I would like a guy that can come in and, and take our team because, uh, you know, <laughs> For the coach and the team and everything, we can't sit around and have a guy lose <laughs> games for us. The the coach is going to be gone, you know, and all that stuff. But, uh, I, you know, I was fortunate to get, uh, you know, Kerry Collins was the one that I really turned around. He got fired by two teams, and he came in, and he was an all-star with us. Just changed some habits with him and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, throughout my career, I mean, I had John – I recruited John Elway out of high school. Yeah. Coached him the whole time at Stanford. Then I had him for two years uh, at uh, Denver, and he was the AFC, you know, Player of the Year. And he wasn't playing real well uh, under Dan Reeves. And uh, and then the the one that I really enjoyed too was Boomer Esiason. You know, mm. when everybody thought he was on the, the the heap. You know, he can't play anymore. And uh, but he came in, and uh, he really, you know, he was a pro. He was smart. He wanted to be good. He took to my coaching really good and uh i think uh i don't know where it is but he calls me usually every year that he was he was like the fourth highest uh passing yards in the nfl now i'm sure some people pass that right now but uh he was a pleasure to uh, coach and he took to my coaching and he was a veteran guy and uh i remember we were playing i don't know oh we were playing the washington redskins and he started out kind of rough duty rough duty i mean he did and uh you know head coach asked we ought to pull him and i said no 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 i'll calm him down he'll be <laughs> fine and that's that's when he, he threw like two interceptions right off the bat and uh, at the end of the day i think i could be wrong so don't quote me on this but at the end of the day he threw for like 411 yards in the game and at that time it was the fourth highest you know and see so the, the thing is well, like with boomer you know, he still thinks that I stuck with him. You know, I stayed with him. And I think that's a big part between the head coach or the quarterback coach or whoever that is. 
to have confidence in the guy when he's even having a tough game. Yeah, what? And you know, Jim, when you talk about these younger quarterbacks and the Daniel Jones, what would you say that is the most important thing for a young quarterback to understand quickly in the NFL today? Quickly, I mean, like, is it is it his reads at the line of scrimmage? Is it his timing in the pocket? Give me something that that people can relate to. Well, I mean, uh, he has got to start, you know, start by understanding the playbook and the plays and where he has to go. And he's a studier. I mean, he studies, 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 studies. Okay. So he could coach the whole offense. He could coach everybody. He could tell the right guard what to do in a 22Z and, you know, and all that stuff. He's on top of it. And, uh, and then the other thing is, you know, a young quarterback coming in, if he has a bad game or he has, you know, this uh, first half bad thing, you got to be able to calm him down. And he's got to trust you that you're sticking with him and, mm-hmm. you know, here we go. And if he's having a bad day, then I'll give him some real easy throws and we'll run the football a little bit and try to get his confidence back. We're talking with former Giants head coach Jim Faso, who coached the team from 1997 to 2003, helped lead them to Super Bowl 35, following the 2000 campaign. And speaking of just evaluating players in general, we're on the brink of the scouting combine next week, Jim, and it's a piece of the puzzle, but not necessarily the entire puzzle. Clearly, the collegiate film, I would think, would take top priority over these other pieces. When you were a coach and you were going through the draft process, how much stock did you put in the measurements, the bells and whistles that come with the combine versus what you actually saw on film throughout the course of their entire season? Well, I'll take the film any day. Mm -hmm. Now, it's nice to go down there and meet the guys, and yeah. I like to sit down with a guy and say, what's your life goals? Well, if football was gone, what are you doing? What do you, what do you want to do? And, uh, you know, sometimes, and I don't mean to badmouth the scouts or something like that, but, you know, I talked to a scout one time, and it was about a quarterback, and, you know, he said, what would you think of him? I said, I, I like the guy. He's got a good quick release and stuff. And Well, he only completed uh, 11 out of uh, 20 passes. I said, well, these guys just – <laughs> they, they, they just met each other, you know. <laughs> Come on. I mean, if you're going to run it out at 12 yards and the guy's at 13 yards right. and he, underneath, I mean, you can't, you know, I want to look at the guy and see what I can make of him, okay? And I'm not going to sit there and, uh, you know, uh, scouts tell you that, well, he didn't complete these passes. He didn't look – well, these guys just met last night. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and so, uh, you know, you got to know what you're doing with that. Plus, you know, I think that, that taking a step further – as an extension of the evaluation process outside the combine are those pro days where you actually have some guys that are actually you've been practicing with some of his receivers whether they're younger classmen or actually guys coming out or he's throwing to if it's a quarterback i think to me jim i think one of the most important things at the combine and the measurables are all great that you know you could you could actually stay at home and get those the next day if you wanted to I think it's those interviews and those those questions that are asked to these athletes about, like you said, like, what do you want to do? Because you can see the drive in some of these guys. Like, you know, if it, football wasn't – if it's when football is over, I want to be this or this. That's so important in today's game because of the amount of money these guys are making, the investment – and the and also the commitment that you're going to make towards these players it makes it makes sense to have those interviews and see what kind of character you can get in some of these guys that you're going to draft. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know everybody's got their way to do it and all that stuff. And, yeah, you know the the biggest thing is you have to have camaraderie with the scouts and the coaches, and 
I told my coaches, we have to trust the scouts. And I talked to the scouts. you got to trust us, too. Mm-hmm. We're all in this thing together. Right. All right? And, uh, you know, but you got to believe in each other and do some things. I know when I went there, you know, George Young was a got me there as an assistant. Okay? And so this was my first rodeo uh, in pro football. And, uh, you know, George and I talked when I got there and all that. He says, you know, with the wins here and all that stuff, we need a strong arm quarterback. That's what we got to look for. I said, okay, all right. So I went out and did my circle of uh, colleges. And uh, when I got there the first time, uh, well, the, when the coach was here before, I think it was from the Giants, uh, put you on two knees and throw the ball and see how far you can throw it on two knees. And it kind of took me by, by surprise. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm going, okay, I guess this is this pro football. So when I got back <laughs> off my trip, you know, I went into George's office. And George is always, he was great to me, unbelievably. When I was in college, he was calling me and seeing if I wanted to go into pro football. And so anyway, I went into George's office and I said, you get it? I said, yeah, it was good. But uh, George, I don't what's the deal with getting on your knees and throwing the football? <laughs> well, it's for arm strength. I said, do we have any plays where you drop back, drop to your knees, and throw the ball? <laughs> and he said, he looked at me, he goes, okay, he scratches his head, and he goes, how would you do it? I'd get a jugs gun like they have in baseball. Yeah. Okay? I get a jugs gun, and I can, I can get the speed of the ball. That's how we tell it. And he goes, he got picked up the phone, he called the head of the scouting, come down, and he says, hey, he just came up with a great idea, you know, and I explained to him, and they said, okay. And then uh, we got a jugs gun, and I went out, and the first guys was uh, uh, Marty Schottenheimer and Al Saunders and uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, and they saw me doing that. They said, what are you doing? I said, I'm speeding, the, the, measuring the speed of the ball. That will tell me how strong the guy's arm, arm is. And they go, Holy crap, we got to get one of those. <laughs> oh, I thought they might have so, said, oh, we, we have guys on their, their knees throwing a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought when I got there, I thought, wow, the NFL is really smart, I guess. You know, <laughs> I got I to drop the guy to a knee, and I went, no. I mean, he doesn't throw from his knees. He throws with his feet and sure. hips and everything else. So it was kind of fun. Well, with what you were just talking about, Jim, it's interesting because you were here in 91-92 as an assistant, and then obviously you came back as the head coach in 97. I'm curious, how much was that a luxury for you, that you already knew internally how the organization runs, to your point, how the scouting department works, and maybe how much did things change over the course of the five years that went by that you went to other teams? Well, as far as you're talking about with New York Giants? Yeah, with the New York Giants, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I was there with George, and George hired me as a head coach, and uh, he's he was the best. I mean, he was the best. I mean, he could talk to you and tell you what he wants to get across, not making you feel like you're wrong or anything mm-hmm. like that, but he guided me. He really, really guided me, and... uh and he listened to me. That was the biggest thing about George. If I wanted to see something, do something, or whatever, he was all about it and backing you up and all those things. And that's what you need because if a general manager is not going to back you up on things, you're dead. 
Yeah, I mean, and listen, you know, he, he was finally put in the Hall of Fame this year. So I'm sure that you are extremely happy about him. And, you know, the longer we're all around this game, there's people you want to thank all the time. And George Young, for you, was one of them, gave you your shot and obviously believed in you, Jim. And, um, you know, we're extremely happy for him going into the Hall of Fame this year. Well, I am, too. And I got a buddy of mine in New York that uh, uh, headlined a big article on George and uh, – um, I, I've got it right here, and I'm going to frame it. And uh, the man who made the Giants, super. Yeah. <laughs> and that's right. Yeah. That's right. And uh, so, I mean, there's a long story behind that, how he got there. But, I mean, George, George was phenomenal. Phenomenal. He's, he's the most guy responsible for the Giants where they were. Okay? I swear to God. Yeah, they were pretty and, bad uh, for him. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about it. So, uh, but George Young, uh, if every team had a George Young, uh, they would be going to the Super Bowl all the time. Help lay the foundation and build the blueprint for what became after him with Ernie Accorsi taking over and the Giants ultimately winning two Super Bowls. We're talking with former Giants head coach Jim Fossil. Jim, before I let you go, I think you have an interesting perspective in terms of perhaps what transpired this past season because. Unfortunately, you were on the rough end of an officiating issue in that 2002 wild card game between the Giants and the Niners. Sean Payton was there as well. Then he goes through a similar circumstance with the NFC Championship game. And then we saw what the league did with respect to putting in review for judgment calls. As somebody on the outside looking in, what did you make of what the league did to try to correct the wrong and really the impact that technology is having on today's NFL overall? Well, I think they've adjusted to some things, and I think it's good for football. I mean, you know, it's hard to pin everything down with everything, but, I mean, you've you got to let the, you know, the, the players play and the coaches coach and the refs, they do that. It's never going to be a perfect thing. They're going to find something else. And when you were talking about that, they can make some changes. If you remember the playoff game, is that what you're talking about? Our playoff game with you're, the 49ers? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, you know, that they screwed that one up, <laughs> and it was the last play of the game, and uh, there was a penalty, and they said there was a penalty on the Giants, and they took off. They just left. Yeah. And uh, when they got in the locker room, the head referee said, well, "What did you have?" He said, "I had an illegal man downfield on the Giants." Are you kidding me? <laughs> he was checked in eligible. Yeah, Richie Soiber. He was an eligible guy. And uh, so then they changed the rule that if there's a penalty on the last play of the game, then uh, all the referees are going to huddle up. What did you see? Did you call it? Did you call it? Did you see it? No, I, I called it. What did you see? And they won't leave the field until they've said, we've got it correct. Now we leave the field. But that... I couldn't catch those guys. If I, I, I could run faster than all the referees, but I couldn't catch them. You're late for their flight. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, it was uh, – yeah, and Richie Soiber tells that story, you know, fondly. He understands what happened there, and he said he was wide open and he would have caught the ball for a touchdown. That's what he would – or at least for a first down. So – you know, Richie, one of our... Well, we were on the one-yard line. I don't yeah. think he would have had... All right, for a touchdown then, yeah, because he was pretty he was pretty, pretty mad about it. And so, you know, I, I think that, you know, and then the year after, as um, 
fortunately, I was able to come to the Giants after that. So that was that. Yeah. What year? That was O two. That was O two, correct? Yeah. And then you yeah. came in O three, and then I'm sure Jim wouldn't have had to get well, you to understand that on a third down, coach, you can actually down the ball and live right. to see another down. Well, that's funny uh, because Jim, you know this. You know, we, well, oh. we lost Jim on that note. Yeah, unfortunately, that was, you know, that play was, there was a lot of things going on. One, the ruling, and the second thing was that for, forever, all 32 teams practiced that, you know, if you're going to kick a field goal, do it on third down, you, 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 and the holder could have just easily just spiked the ball and you had an, an extra down. I don't know how much time was left in the clock, but that's just one of those things you go over in the special teams meeting constantly, understanding situational football. Tom Coughlin was the best at that. He put... These situations on Fridays, there was always situations that came up in games that we were aware of so that we understood it. Whether it ever came up or not, I don't know. But the fact is you knew about it just in case. And we did practice that. Yeah, well, and that's where somebody like you on special teams can really dictate the no ins question. and outs of a game, yeah. Jeff, because it's those little nuances that... Well, I think in you know as time's gone by here, I I, I I don't remember a lot of the some of the rules and things like that. You know, but when you bring them up again, I mean, I, I remember as practicing all these and understanding situations where how much time is on the clock, how many timeouts do you have, what down should you be on. These are all things as a holder. Uh, for field goals, you have to understand, and even for punting too, because sometimes you can take a delay a game to you know. There's so there's all kinds of things that go on, and I, I've always been fat, uh, fascinated about how many rules there are in special teams. There's oh, so many tons. rules and special teams that people don't know about um, that they're scratching their head when there's a flag on the field on special teams and they don't know what the heck's going on. So I don't know if we're going to get Jim back or not. Yeah, Artemis, I don't know if you just want to maybe just give him a ring back and thank him. I I know, unfortunately, we had some technical issues, but uh, we did certainly appreciate what Jim had to tell us. Sure. hit on a variety of different things. And, I mean, his knowledge, Jeff, about working with quarterbacks is unreal. I mean, as he mentioned, you know, he was with John Elway in the very early stages of his career, going back to the Stanford days. So, I mean, he's seen some of the greats and some of the young guys and how difficult and challenging it is to work them up through the process. Well, I remember when I was – he was the offensive coordinator with the Arizona Cardinals when I was there. And he was also the quarterbacks coach. So he was always working with the quarterbacks. And that's where I developed my relationship with Jim. Um, he used to come to my golf tournament every year for muscular dystrophy in Phoenix. We had, and so even when I left, he used to come back for my uh, golf tournament. And we had just a great time with him. And he's just his outstanding coach, had a long tenure in the NFL, and he is full of knowledge. It's great to talk to him. Absolutely. As uh, Jim Fossil here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And we just wanted to obviously thank him. And uh, we did off the air for what he brought to the program, and we certainly appreciate what he had to tell us in terms of reminiscing about when you were here as a giant as well as George Young. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, when you think about, we we haven't talked enough about George Young, and at least I know I haven't, about, you know, his his time here with the Giants and what he did for this organization, the grassroots, as you said, and and being inducted into the Hall of Fame this year is very special. So that's going to be a great ceremony to see him go in. Um, and don't be surprised that, you know, sooner or later that maybe Ernie Corsi might be following him too. Absolutely. Well, the fact that they put in an additional grouping because this year was the centennial right, class, yeah. which was nice. George Young was acknowledged as well as some of the other greats. And there's always a contributor wing with respect That's to right. the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So uh, GMs will have an opportunity. Paul Tagliabue, the former commissioner, yeah. he That's was right. part of this year's group too. So the NFL does do a nice job. Pro football, I should mention, uh, does a nice job in terms of acknowledging not just the individuals who suited up and played the game, Jeff, but, but the, the ones who also yeah, helped yeah. Uh, from the outside in building teams, coaching teams 
teams and so forth. I also, quick side note, really liked, and this is somebody that also is connected to you, I liked how they also revealed publicly how Bill Cowher and Jimmy Johnson learned yeah. of the news yeah, on television. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty cool. You don't well, see that very often. You don't, and you kind of want something new. You kind of, you know... Um, you see the same thing every week, but you know what? Those those guys were truly they were touched, and and yeah. um, I was of course very happy for Coach Johnson, Jimmy Johnson being my coach, and and really giving me I've told this story many times, giving me the opportunity um, to get into the NFL by what he told the scouts and be able to work me out that one day um, that that really changed the rest of my life as far as my career in football, and and gave me that opportunity to kick in front of those guys, those scouts, and um, and really you know just to see him get into the uh, Hall of Fame, not in the Ring of Honor at Dallas, which is something... Which is very interesting, interesting. yes. Yeah. I, I think there would be an entire other program to uh, <laughs> address those issues, yeah. but uh, we'll leave it at Giants football as we wrap things up here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, brought to you by Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refreshment Made to Chill. We want to thank again our two special guests, yeah. Mark Herzlick, as well as Jim Fossil. Some great stuff. Hopefully you enjoyed both of those interviews. And for all the latest, stay locked to Giants.com. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. We'll have special shows from the Combine the rest of the week. Signing off here on Big Blue Kickoff Live.